0: to The Sarah Carter Show. I am so grateful to be here with you today. We have been through so much over the past three months. Uh, I can't even begin to wonder how you all are feeling. I know how I'm feeling. It's it's like crazy, Bill. It's like upside-down universe. I don't even know what's happening. I, I want to ask all the right questions. I want to know what's going on. And I feel like we're not getting any answers. I mean, this is just this is really something unexplainable right now. We're living in history and we're all trying to find our way through it. Each one of us, each one of us. I just, before we get to our guest, I have I have a wonderful guest today. He is a great friend of mine, a good person and somebody who I have deep respect for. Uh, he's a defense attorney, a civil rights attorney, David Schoen. And he is now representing, believe it or not, Roger Stone. In his case, and he is going to be talking about uh, Sidney Powell's case and Lieutenant General Michael Flynn and where it can go from there. He is going to be filling you uh, in on all the updates with Roger Stone. And he's going to be talking about why it's so important that Lady Justice remain Lady Justice. Why we can't allow our politics to get involved in this. And why over the last four years we have seen a deterioration in our justice system. Because of the hate for Donald Trump. Really, that's what this is about. And because of the hate for the American people that voted for him. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Donald Trump would not be president of these United States if he was not voted for. So this is this is a double whammy here. And we need to think about that. And now we need to think about what is happening to our nation, to our republic, and why it is so divided. And that's going to take me right over to seattle to the streets across our nation where we've seen rioting and protesting i want you to hear what is happening in seattle this is june 3rd listen to this On May 30th, on May 30th, people in Seattle streets lit a police vehicle on fire. They broke pig on the front of it. They've now taken over blocks. Antifa, young people who don't even really know what Antifa is, but they're just running out and being a part of something, you know? They've been told that our country is the worst of the worst. That's what hap—what happens here is the worst, Right? That our police are pigs. That's what they are being told. They're being told that they are murderers. Amazon is literally allowing the sale of Blue Lives Murder t-shirts. Amazon is supposed to have restrictions on this. I wrote the story about it. It's on saricarter.com. You can go there. You can, we, can go can there. Can we just clarify? Blue,
1: did you mean to say "Black Lives"? Uh, Blue Lives Matter? Or is it really Blue Lives Murder?
0: It's Blue Lives murder murder.
1: Okay, just wanted With to make a sure a sick
0: figure of a cop beating down someone. I want to play a clip. I want I want us to be rational here. What happened to George Floyd was horrific and wrong in all Sense of the word should have never ever happened, and now we have information that George Floyd and the cop knew each other, that they had altercations in the past. There's all kinds of issues with that. But what happened to George Floyd is horrific and horrible, and nobody should have to see another human being die the way he did on camera. I don't care what how he lived, I don't care about his past. He is a human being, he is a human being that had the right to live, had the right to live right. But that does not mean that all police officers are horrible human beings, are bad people, are out there to kill people, are out there to kill. That doesn't mean that all cops are white. Not all cops are white. Cops come in every color, race, creed, religion. There are Muslim cops. There are Catholic cops. There are Buddhist cops. There are black cops. There are white cops. Or as my daughter likes to say, brown and peach. Brown and peach. There are people of every color and they sacrifice just as much for our country. Let's be realistic. Do not let these university professors at these crazy universities who have pounded into our kids' heads that America is this horrific nation full of bad people, that colonialists. They want to tear down our history. They want to destroy our culture They want to destroy the truth, the facts. I'll get into that in a minute. I'll get into that in a minute. But I want you to hear this clip because it's very important. And it's, listen listen to the sister. Right now, I want you to hear a sister of a police officer, of a black police officer, making her plea. This is Angela Underwood Jacobs, who testified before Congress about her hero brother,
2: the heartbreak and the grief is inexplainable because it's very, very hard to articulate when your entire world has been turned upside down. I do want to know though when I think about all of this is that my brother wore a uniform and he wore that uniform proudly. I'm wondering where is the where is the outrage for a fallen officer? that also happens to be African-American.
0: Where's the outrage for a fallen officer that also happens to be African-American? Where's the outrage? Why aren't we seeing that kind of outrage? Where's the outrage? For all the children that are dying in our inner cities of opioid overdoses and deaths, where gang members are selling narcotics on our streets, where they are killing each other, where our children are killing each other on our streets. I don't care what color they are. Those are our children. Those are American children. Where is the outrage for the children that are being abused? for the children that grow up in urban environments where they can't even walk to school without the fear that they will be shot on their way to school or that somebody's going to take them or somebody's going to recruit them into gang life. Where is the outrage for those in poverty? Where was this outrage before? Where was it? Where was it? Did anybody even bother? Does anybody even bother? I I really want to ask a serious question here. How many people, how many of these Antifa folks, right? I grew up in a neighborhood a neighborhood that was poverty stricken in Montclair, California. Wasn't that, I mean, it was a lower middle class. We had a lot of gang members. Uh, there was a lot of Latin gangs, um, a lot of bad things that happened in my neighborhood. I did not grow up. After I came back from Saudi Arabia, after my dad died, I was 13 years old. I grew up with a single mom who had to raise me and my brother on her own, and she worked in a factory. We did not have a lot of money, trust me. We did not have a lot of help, but the cops were there. They would come into the neighborhood and they would take care of the gang members. They would clean up our streets because it was crawling with problems. Believe me. But where were the, you know, the wealthier, where were these people from Harvard and Yale who go marching out into the streets and Princeton and all of these upper crusty elitist white neighborhoods that are now like, you know, the, what we call the limousine liberals, Right. Where's Barbara Streisand her big, you know, mansion and her big six foot tall, eight foot tall fence to keep out the riff raff and Nancy Pelosi and her big man? I mean, look, I'm not, I don't have any problem with them having money. They can have all the money in the world that they want. This is America. We are capitalists. But they keep pointing the finger at me, kneeling down on their knee and wearing their African garb and acting like they care about us. They do not care. They would never walk through those neighborhoods. They never cared. They ignore all the kids that are killing each other. They ignore the people that are selling the drugs. They don't pay attention to the police officers that are begging for help. What happens? Oh no, they're taking federal dollars, your tax dollars over and over and over again, saying that they're gonna build these great social programs that they've promised by the way for decades, which never happens. Which never happens. It's all, and we always find mismanagement of money. The school systems are falling apart. Kids are graduating that can't even read or write. How is that even possible? How is it possible that years ago I did a series of stories in Pomona on social justice issues? I would walk. I I literally walked into the high school with the students. No teacher even questioned who I was. I sat in the classrooms. I watched teachers get on their laptops in this poor neighborhood in Pomona where kids were killing each other, where they were full with gangs. I watched teachers sending emails to their friends while kids were throwing stuff at each other, you know, and acting up. They didn't even know who I was. They didn't even care. They were tired. Where the bathrooms hadn't been cleaned in weeks where there was literally feces in the bathroom on the wall and the students would leave the high school and go across the street, leave, just go leave school, leave the, leave the school, go across the street to another business to use the toilets and then never come back. They would just leave school. Nobody cared. Nobody was paying attention, but now we all care. Now we're all caring, right? Now we're all caring. How many people even even bothered to stop and talk to George Floyd in his life. You know, maybe, you know, who knows? I don't know. See how he was doing. All the homeless that I see in Washington, D.C. on the sidewalks that are being ignored. I see people walk over them all the time. Don't even bother. In New York City, how many people? How many people do we walk by and just ignore? The riffraff, Right the riffraff of society. But yet when something happens, a social justice issue comes up, right? All of a sudden everybody's out in the street marching, acting, I swear it's like people are going out there just trying to feel better about themselves for all the crap they never did in their life that led up to all of this mess. I mean, I hate getting so angry about this, but I see our children out in the streets and I see what is happening to us as a nation And we are tearing each other apart. We cannot afford this as a country. We're not asking the right questions. We're not doing what's right. We are allowing this kind of hate and anger to dictate what is happening to our country. Let's just use common sense. Let's do the right thing. Let's stop for one minute and realize what is happening here. George Floyd deserves respect, you're right, his death, his death. We cannot forget it. We cannot forget what happened. What does that mean? We can't tear down our history. That means we don't forget. We do better next time. We do better. But that doesn't mean we can target the police, tear down our cities, destroy businesses, and that also doesn't mean we give the right to our government to do everything that it wants to us. I mean, this is crazy. I, I don't even We came from COVID, coronavirus, to all of a sudden our cities are turned upside down and nobody's asking any questions. You know, I want us all to think about what we can do individually as people to make things better, to pay attention to what's really going on in our communities and you know what? That starts at home, paying attention to our families and our children and finding out what's going on there. And then we look at our communities and we go further out and we do what's right. But this is not right, folks. What's happening here isn't right. Sarah, do you think is it's it it possible
1: happen- that it's correlated, that people are just so tired of being the whole COVID situation where people have literally just gotten so frustrated? And then, you know, a powder cake something just drops and a bomb like the George Floyd killing really i mean do you think they're correlated
0: actually i do adam i think that there's a lot of frustration and that people are just reacting you know and you i don't want to be judgmental but you know there has to be a point where we you know we take a step back and we realize that tearing each other apart is not the answer right um and i think there is some correlation there people have been locked down in their homes for three months we've seen that people haven't even gone to their doctors. Uh, People are not receiving the right attention. They're at home with their families. Their kids are driving them nuts. They got to work. They got to do school, you know, homeschooling. It's, it's crazy.
1: And not only that, look at like an NFL football player who retires. Like when they retire, a football player is who they are. It's part of their identity. So when that then gets taken from them, a lot of these guys go through a tough time of trying to figure out who they are in retirement. That basically happened to our whole world, let alone this nation. Everybody had what their identity was pretty much just taken away from them and said, stop working. Stop doing what you're doing. You're an athlete, you're a doctor, you're a lawyer. It doesn't matter, just stop. And people don't know right. how to handle that and we're all on edge because of it.
0: You're right. And people really are on edge because they really they really did have the rug pulled out from under them and they didn't even know what questions to ask, right? Like people were confused. We saw that, we saw that on Twitter where people were like, okay, they're telling me that I could die of coronavirus and I could end up, Giving it to my grandmother or my grandfather, and this is horrible, and now we've got all this weight on our shoulders, and we want to do the right thing, and let's wear our masks. But then the World Health Organization, and the medical profession for that matter, doesn't give us the right answers. So nobody knows. So nobody knows. So the World Health Organization comes out two days ago and says, guess what? Asymptomatic transmission is very rare very rare. Now we've realized it's not going to be, you you won't be able to like give someone coronavirus that easily. Oh gosh, you would have thought all hell broke loose. All hell broke loose. And then they had to come back. And this who expert, all of a sudden this, the the top doctor for who, and I'll get her number right here, uh, her name. Her name is Dr. Maria Van Kirchhoff. Maria Van Kirchhoff. I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Or Kirkhove. I don't know. She she i mean they railroaded her everybody oh my gosh you can't say that you can't say that asymptomatic transmission is very rare because guess what we have shut down economies for 3 months guess what people are wearing masks and we haven't told them that they can take them off yet i mean i go to safeway it's like mask city i go anywhere it's like you know i'm we're all in masks it's, it's just it's crazy it's like a different world and now and then 2 days later she comes back she says oh wait wait a minute you know, the modeling studies estimate that up to 40% of coronavirus infections could be transmitted by people who have the virus but show no symptoms. So, okay, I'm just going to say that, okay, I even though I just told you it was very rare, I'm going to back up the train and say, well, but maybe these models are correct. So if she doesn't know what she's saying, if she doesn't know what the heck's going on, how are we supposed to know what's going on? I'm sorry to leave you with all that confusion, folks, (laughs) but I hope we can clarify at least Roger Stone and Lieutenant General Michael Flynn's case with our next guest. He is a wonderful human being. He is a great friend. He is an attorney, a civil rights and criminal defense attorney who has served as trial counsel in the past, listen to this, for the Democratic Party and has been outspoken against the Democrats' push for an impeachment against President Donald Trump early on, and he has talked about this publicly. I mean, look, he was defending the Democrats. This is David Schoen. He was their attorney, and he's saying what's happened over the last four years is wrong. It's wrong. It violates everything our nation stands for, and he has helped expose it. So without any further ado, here's the great David Schoen. So great to have you back on the show, David. Uh, you haven't been on in a little while, but there have been a lot of developments since the last time you were here at the Sarah Carter Show. Can you tell us what's happening? I know you're representing Roger Stone now. Can you fill us in on how that happened?
2: Yeah, it's uh, great to be back here, by the way, uh, it's a real honor. Yeah, I uh, originally, Roger Stone, uh, T- Roger Stone himself contacted me about taking over his case for the trial, uh, But it was about a month before trial, and I asked the team if they would move for a 30-day continuance, let me get up to speed, and they didn't want to do that. So uh, I thought that was a mistake, not because I might have brought something extra to his team, but because he also would, you know, I was his counsel of choice, and there's a constitutional right to the counsel of choice, which I felt, you know, would have uh, outweighed any interest in not not giving us a 30-day continuance. It would have set up the judge if she weren't, uh, if she really were as biased as she is, and she would have denied it think that would have given it another good issue. But in any event, they came back afterwards and asked me to take over the case for the appeal. And I'm doing that uh, with a, uh, another fellow or, or two. They've got some guys helping and uh, working together with me. Um, so I appreciate that very much. Fellow Seth Ginsburg, another guy. But um, anyway, there are a lot of issues to raise in the case. And the first thing is to keep him uh, out. I mean, it would be absolutely outrageous if Roger Stone had to Surrender to a federal prison, uh, especially in these days with the COVID-19 threat in prison. We've heard recently Absolutely. from right. We've heard recently from the Bureau of Prisons before Congress saying things seem to be fine, but it just doesn't match up with what's on the ground. They're not doing sufficient testing, and so if they say a facility hasn't had any cases of COVID-19, it's just it's just misleading. It means, as some judges have said, including a judge in D.C., that just means there are no confirmed cases. Uh, of COVID-19, so it's a real danger. Roger Stone is 67; he's got health problems and all of that. But um, you know, I'm happy to talk to you about what some of the really pressing issues are in the case. Um, I'd also like to talk to you, you know, today about this whole uh, what's going on in the Flynn case, is the appointment of John Gleason um, there. Right.
0: Because you know so much about John Gleason, David, and you know so much about his history. And before I get to John Gleason, because I'm you know, I've I filled in all of the listeners out there, you heard me talking about this at the opening of the show. What John, who John Gleason is, what's happening with um, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn? David is the one that can answer that. He has a historical perspective on Gleason. But I want to go back to Roger Stone really quick because there were some developments uh, that have happened um, over the last week. One of them being the most bizarre thing, which was that the White House uh, White House Group Correspondents uh, gave an award to CNN for their coverage of the raid on Roger Stone's house. Now, I know it sounds like a crazy sidebar, and I'm taking you there, but I was stunned when they got this award because it appeared that it was all a setup because they were there minutes before the FBI arrived to raid his home. I mean, a full armada of uh, of men with weapons, and uh, there, was, there was a boat out in the water behind his house with armed men. I mean, this is to take... This man, an elderly man, into custody that was not even a flight risk. So it was done for television, uh, made for TV uh, in an attempt to terrify anybody who was friends with President Donald Trump to show what the government, this was a show of force by the government, and then CNN won an award for it. I want to ask you, what what do you think about that? And and explain to me your thoughts behind what happened there.
2: Yeah, Sarah, I mean, you've said it all. It is absolutely sick. To give an award, this is one of the most outrageous things that we've seen in many, many years in the criminal justice system. They treated Roger Stone as if he were a drug warlord with a, a tremendous arsenal. They came in by sea, they came in by land, dawn, you know, pre-dawn raid. Uh, you you asked the most important question: How did CNN know about it? Afterwards, you know, the process, Mueller team tried to claim, well, some CNN pr- people probably saw them presenting the case. The grand jury, absolute nonsense. They were waiting at Roger Stone's home for the raid just before the raid. This is absolutely outrageous. And to give an award, what did they do? I mean, they they reported on absolutely horrendous government misconduct that they were alerted to, and in a sense, a party to, by neutrally observing, supposedly being neutral observers to that kind of outrageous misconduct. They should have excoriated everyone on that government team for doing something like this. Uh, that, but that, and that was the start of the outrage, uh, after the outrageous indictment in the case. But, you know, I, I wanted to say this to you. One of the things that really sticks out of my mind about the Roger Stone case, I attended the sentencing just to get a sense of the courtroom and the judge. Um, I had actually corresponded as a friend with this judge before this trial, when she was a criminal defense lawyer, uh, very briefly. Uh, it, it's shocking that what happened to her in this case. She completely politicized the case and the sentencing Spoke volumes. She said in the sentencing, for example, this case had nothing whatsoever to do with Russia collusion or the Russia investigation. This was about an effort to hack and get uh, access to hacked emails from Hillary Clinton's server. That's not what the Mueller team was supposed to be uh, having their mandate to investigate, and that's right. not what the prosecutor told the jury at the beginning of the Roger Stone case. He said about this was obstruction of the Russia collusion investigation. The judge said it had nothing to do with it, and then she said. He was covering up for Donald Trump. There's no evidence of that, nor any reason to cover up, or any uh, information to cover up about Donald Trump. The whole thing was really, really a horrible uh, emblem for our justice system from the start. You had prosecutors prosecuting this case. Take, for one example, Jeannie Ree from the Mueller team, or you can take Mueller himself. They, were, they work at the, worked at the same firm, Wilmer Hale, major DC firm that both Mueller and Jenny Jenny Ree worked there. Jenny Ree was specifically in charge of representing Hillary Clinton, specifically in her email scandal, while she worked at Wilmer Hale, while Mueller was a partner at Wilmer Hale. So how on earth is she brought in as a prosecutor, prosecuting Roger Stone for supposedly trying to get access to Hillary Clinton's Hacked emails. She has a personal agenda in this case. She has it's a total duty.
0: conflict of interest. What we don't Absolutely. understand as the regular folks out here. You know, I'm a layman, I'm not an attorney. I am, I did not study like you did in law school to understand all the intricacies of what is happening here. But I can tell you that regular Americans, whether you're an independent, a Republican, or a Democrat, there are people out there that are saying, How did this happen? How is this conflict of not a conflict of interest How, what is going on here and by the way it is because there is this anti-trump hate out there that it's like a driving force uh, a set of blinders it, it blinds lady Justice even you know out there I mean there I mean it, it lifts the blinds off lady Justice is what I'm saying yeah. and it, it, it may it exposes everything and but yet nothing changes right. nothing it, changes it, it, David. It, it, you're
2: you're 100 right it infected this judge, Judge Amy Berman Jackson, in the Stone case, it clearly has affected uh, and infected Judge Sullivan in the Flint case. It is this burning anti-Trump hatred, so that you know Nadler said it all in Congress. They they fear they can't beat President Trump at the ballot box, so they have to try impeachment or these other you know dirty tricks that they try, despite the lack of any evidence. I'll tell you this, for example, the judge said uh, at the Roger Stone sentencing, Judge Jackson said. <clears throat> Well, Roger Stone was covering up for Donald Trump, and because of what he did in this case, obstructing justice, when he appeared before the Nunez Committee, uh, he ruined their report and uh, misled them on their mission, and therefore they didn't come up with the proper conclusions in the Mueller inve- uh, in the uh, in Russian collusion investigation. So on February 20th, Congressman Nun Nunez's uh, spokesperson said, absolute nonsense. What the judge said has no relationship to the truth. They issued a 240-page report, he said. There might have been one sentence with inaccurate information about by Roger Stone, which had absolutely no impact on the report's findings whatsoever. So you ask the question, how is anything that Roger Stone material so that he could have been prosecuted in this case? It was simply they were out to get him from the start. They
0: saw. I want to play this. I want to play this uh, statement from Roger Stone because it goes right to what you're saying right now. It goes right to what you're saying. Could you play Roger Stone, um, Roger Stone statement, Adam, for me? It's on on Rosenstein.
1: But it remains
2: that Rod Rosenstein lied under oath to Congress. The exact charge that I was hit with. The difference is Rosenstein lied about something consequential, something material where in my case, any misstatement I made to Congress
1: was both immaterial and without intent. Why? Because there was no underlying crime to lie about. In other words, I had no motive to lie.
0: That's what your client said. Straight up.
2: Uh, Listen, we learned a lot more. You've reported on what Rod Rod Rosenstein's testimony was at Congress, what they, they knew as of August. There was no Russian collusion and all of that. So again, why do you go after Roger Stone for purportedly misleading an investigation into that when you knew already there was no, no there there, as he said? Um, it, it's just everything from start to finish. But of course, as you know, I mean, the jury misconduct issue in the Roger Stone case just tells you, I mean, it goes to the heart of the integrity of our system. How can right. it possibly be? We're just, we're playing games here by the judge when she says, well, you know, there's no indication it influenced the juror. This was the juror, the jury four person who came forward. Uh, we don't even know who else might have been influenced, but she came forward to support the prosecution team that got off the case. And uh, what we do know is she was engaging in social media um, posts against President Trump and everything associated with Trump. That can't be a juror in a case like this. Again, another huge
0: things. conflict of interest, David. Huge. We're seeing it. This is a, a the jury forewoman. She's from Tennessee. She was even involved in politics. Uh, you know, all of this evidence, yet nothing changes. Do you think Roger is going to get a fair shake? I mean, you're a great civil rights and defense attorney. You have seen this over and over again. You defend, uh, You defend your clients to the utmost. But when you look at what's happened in the United States, when you see what's happened over the past four years, even with the special counsel, do you think there's a way that Roger Stone is going to get a fair shake? And how can he? What can you do legally to ensure that?
2: I honestly think, if you're asking me my heart of hearts, the only way he's going to get a fair shake is by getting a commutation and ultimately a pardon, which I think is the right message to send here. I think the president has to take a stand, send the, the affirmative message. This Mueller team was rotten to the core. They paralyzed our country for a couple of years. They went after people here to try to turn the screws to Donald Trump, and it it has to be undone. We have to set the record straight. Listen, he's got an appeal to take and all of that, but he doesn't have any confidence in the courts anymore, and how could he, and who could blame him after what he's seen? So-called civil libertarians, whether in Congress or in the courts, have turned everything on its head now. So now the presumption of innocence doesn't matter for these folks as long as they can get Donald Trump's associate because they couldn't get Donald Trump. It's it's terrible.
0: Well, it is terrible, and that leads us right into another victim of this entire, uh, what Greg Jarrett likes to call the witch hunt, you know, or the Russia hoax, uh, right. and what we've talked about, you, David, you and I, Greg, uh, John, and others on Sean Hannity's show, but as Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, who, by the way, gave his entire life to his nation. He served our country honorably in both Iraq and Afghanistan, all over the world. I've known people that have served with him. I've been in Afghanistan when he was on the ground there serving as the head of intelligence and the respect that the troops had for him. And we see what has happened to him publicly, the disinformation campaigns in the media, what they've done to him publicly. They were calling him a traitor, saying that he was working with the Russians. Now we know. We know that was all based on a pile of lies. And, in fact, you brought it up just a little bit ago. It was that January 4th, 2017 memo that came out because Sidney Powell was able to get it from Jeffrey Jensen, who was appointed by Attorney General William Barr to look into this. That memo from the FBI where they wanted to close the case because they had absolutely no derogatory information on Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. There was no reason to go after him, yet the FBI did. They continued to do that, to target the president. And we saw the notes from Bill Priestap, either to get him fired or to have him removed. What do you have to say about that? And then we'll get into Gleason.
2: Sarah, I mean, you've, you, Sarah Carter, have covered this case better than anybody in the world. You know the facts. Your allegiance to the country is well-known, um, and General Flynn is the kind of person to stand up for. It's outrageous. You know, listen, it goes well beyond in this case and in Roger Stone's case just withholding some documents or maybe having a close line whether a person should be prosecuted. This is targeting. These were setups. This is uh, beyond the pale in going after both General Flynn and Roger Stone. It was an agenda that should never be a part of our criminal justice system. But what I'm seeing now, the worst part of all of this, perhaps, besides ruining lives here, which is, I guess, even worse, is you know, I'm a person who's engaged in this criminal justice system every day. The idea that, for example, what's happened here, the government, thanks to the appointment Mr. Barr made, Mr. Jensen, the government has finally come clean in a case and said, you know what? We were wrong. We did wrong. We withheld exculpatory evidence. We withheld impeachment evidence. That's not how we're gonna operate as a government anymore. Therefore, dismiss the charges against uh, uh, General Flynn. He was tricked into uh, entering a guilty plea. Happens all the time, by the way. Uh, There are many, many studies. Great judge in the Southern District of New York, Judge Rakoff, has uh, spoken at least twice about the number of people who plead guilty because of the coercion. In this case, as you've reported from the start, Judge uh, General Flynn's family was threatened. He just he did what he felt was the noble thing, not because he had done anything guilty. And so the idea then that a judge would question that, the judge should have given an award to the Justice Department. This is what we want in our system. It happens far too rarely. The ju- there's a great deal of misconduct that goes on in cases around the country to have the government finally step up in one and say, we're sorry, we did wrong, we can't abide by having a conviction like this, throw out the conviction. It should have been applauded. But instead, they bring in a person like John Gleason. Uh, th- that was no coincidence that the judge picked him to argue his case.
0: Oh, explain this, because I want every one of you out there to hear what David has to say, because what he is going to tell you is going to shock you. You're going to say, oh, gosh, again, because this is important, and a lot of people do not know this. Explain to the listeners why he picked Gleason.
2: All right. It's really, it really is truly unbelievable. I'm going to say to you that John Gleason is one of the last people who ever should have been put in this position if we're concerned about the integrity of the system. John Gleason goes back side-by-side colleagues for many years with none other than Andrew Weissman. They worked together Hmm. in the Eastern District of New York prosecuting case after case, especially in a series of cases against what the government calls Colombo crime family. In that case with John Gleason and Andrew Weissman as the supervising uh, prosecutors in the case, lead prosecutors in the case at trial and otherwise, they knew that their chief FBI agent, a guy named Linda Vecchio, had a corrupt relationship with the underboss of the Colombo family, a guy named Gregory Scarpa, stone-cold killer, multiple, multiple murders. They were the supervising prosecutors in this case. It came to light, finally, about this corrupt relationship there are many different ways it came to light, but at one point when a uh, member, uh, person was killed, FBI agent slammed his fist on the counter and said, we're going to win this thing. Another FBI agent questioned, what did that mean? Anyway, skipping it to the chase, there were documents that were then circulated um, showing that corrupt relationship. What we know for sure now is that Gleason and Weissman were told about this corrupt relationship and withheld that from the defense. In the two cases, for example, a case United States versus Michael Sessa, United States versus Victor Arena. Both men are serving life in prison now. They specifically asked who the uh, informant was in the case. They were told it was not this Gregory Scarpa. They were told when this FBI agent testified to the jury, Weissman and Stembolitis, Gleason, these people, their position was to the jury if you believe for a second this FBI agent doesn't tell you the truth, isn't telling you the truth, you should acquit it. They knew he wasn't telling the truth, they knew he was covering this up. So what happened? Finally, it exploded. It came out. An honest prosecutor on the team, who later has said Gleason was the biggest problem of all, she then had to leave that office. She uh, disclosed it, because there was a major investigation, the Office of Professional Responsibility um, uh, in the the Justice Department. Each had to give an affidavit. Gleason was questioned. Um, By the way, the FBI agent was eventually charged with multiple murders. The prosecutor in that case says that Gleason asked him, "Does he need to get his own lawyer?" This is why Gleason was already a federal judge. It's horrific. What we also but know, but these guys
0: get away with everything. I mean, t- remember Weissman? I think I was the first to break that story. I had you in that story as well yes. when Weissman was excoriated by the judge right. for so his actions, and he right. should have never been—he should have never been allowed to go on prosecuting. But then they. They found a way. They have friends in high places. Exactly. So these so, people work together. Gleason- right. Your listeners
2: should hear that story. In, that, in this case that I'm talking about, the very case with Weissman and Gleason, Chief Judge Sifton singled out Weissman for his misconduct, a myopic view of his ethic responsibility, suggested he be referred to the bar. The U.S. Attorney in the Eastern District of New York wrote a letter to the judge saying, Please take Weissman's name out. This could hurt his career. He wasn't alone. And the judge did it. I have copies of both orders, with his name in and without his name. That's how he's gotten away with this kind of thing all along. So now you bring Gleason in to a case that Weissman led the prosecution team in, and you bring Gleason in uh, to tell the judge, oh, well, judge, don't listen to the government about withholding, withholding exculpatory evidence. This is an abuse. This was really just to help Donald Trump that they said that.
0: What are you talking about, Gleason? They came forward with the specifics of what but was this without- is because Gleason is friends yes. with Weissman. You guys have to understand this for everybody out there that's listening. David isn't supporting President Trump. He is a civil rights criminal defense attorney. He is telling you the facts as he knows th- as he knows them, as he's seen them. He is not political in this. He is not a big fan of anybody but the truth and the law, and this is what I can't believe, that even progressive liberals, even civil rights uh, attorneys, defense attorneys that are out there, that you would have thought, only Alan Dershowitz, I've seen him come out, Alan's come out and said, there's, there's something wrong here, you know, this is about, you know, uh, respecting our civil liberties and our civil rights, but there are so few people, so few Democrats, that are willing to take a stand and say, wait a minute, this is wrong no matter which way you slice it.
2: You know, it's wrong. These are facts. You're reporting the facts. Everything I have just said to you is documented in papers. And I'm telling you that these two men are still sitting in prison for life. Uh, One of the judges who took over the case came up through that same office with Weissman and Gleason. One day, I'm hoping they will get a fair shot. That's all they're asking for is a fair shot. I'll tell you this last thing about Gleason and that series of cases. There's a government operator, what they call a top echelon uh, informant, T-E-I, they call it. In Frank Sparacco, he came forward and admitted to a murder that he had committed that the government had charged against against one of these men, Michael Sessa. He told them Sessa had nothing to do with it, he, Sparacco, did it, told this to Gleason Weissman and his team. They continued to keep the charges against Michael Sessa and told the judge he had this murder charge pending against him when they knew it wasn't true. What why kind of they, does why that?
0: Why, do, why do they do this? Is it because they want to win these cases so bad? Yes. They want they want to be the big guy in town, you know, the biggest prosecutor, the most yes. renowned. Is that it? Is that it? And and the end just Yes, and the end
2: justifies the means and they say but well the these are mafia cases. The,
0: right, but the end doesn't justify the means, does it? Because what no, happens just- when you cut corners?
2: Everybody loses, and so you see a case. You thought Judge Sullivan got an eyeful when he saw what happened to Ted Stevens, but that wasn't enough because what trumps that, no pun intended, is that this case is about Donald Trump. But let me tell you something, sir. And
0: explain, explain Senator Ted Stevens for those listeners out there that don't know about this, because Again, this this was a huge case.
2: Right. Again, the government prosecuted uh, Senator Stevens. It was an uh, uh, alarming thing to see a sitting United States senator being prosecuted for corruption. And as soon, his team all along said, this isn't right. We believe the government must be withholding evidence and all that. And finally, it developed. They had to bring in somebody else to look at the file. They developed that the prosecutor had withheld evidence. That prosecutor met his own demise afterwards, frankly. I think he couldn't live with himself about it. And Judge Sullivan finally said, listen, that's not going to happen in my courtroom. All kinds of new rules were put in effect.
0: Um, this made major Judge news. Judge Sullivan was a hero then for doing that's that. Right. For taking right. that step up. That's why this is so highly unusual for yes. what's happening here. Do you think yeah. there's something else going on here that we just don't know? Or do you think it's just because they're all such close friends that they're sticking together no matter what? Well, on I, I,
2: think, I, I think that's a big part of it. But remember, Gleason wrote a piece with two other lawyers who signed on to this brief now with him. He wrote a piece in the newspaper about why you know Judge Sullivan really can reject the government's motion to dismiss and all that. Despite the fact that Gleason himself wrote an opinion a couple of years earlier, which Judge Sullivan cited and was well aware of, that said, no, if this were a matter of the government dismissing a prosecution, then I couldn't interfere, that'd be a separation of powers issue. All of a sudden, it isn't now. They go with a little narrow escape route. Um, it doesn't fly. Judge Sullivan was well aware of this Fokker, F-O-K-K-E-R, case from D.C. that says "You know, it's a separation of powers issue. This is not his right. bailiwick. The government, the executive branch, prosecutes, not the judge. The judge has been told, first of all, it wasn't a righteous prosecution from the start, and secondly, the way it was handled was full of misconduct. This was not a knowing, voluntary, and intelligent guilty plea. No judge worth his or her salt should have accepted this, or should or should do anything other than throw it out now. And I'll tell you something. What can happen about-
0: now? What can happen now, though, David? What can happen now? Can, can, can Michael Flynn get justice in the end? Can Michael Flynn have justice? Can does it is it going to require the president as like what we were talking about with Roger Stone to intervene in this or can something else happen here? Can they appeal this? What what can happen here?
2: Well, I think the president you know right now has decided he want to let it run its course because so much misconduct has come out and I think he's right in a sense to let the people see how bad the government was here. Um, I think you know Mr. Jensen's submission should have been even stronger because the government misconduct was outrageous and it was tainted from the start, but. Look, what could happen here is, hopefully, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit, and the arguments they'll hear tomorrow, says Judge overstepped his bounds. He had no authority to do this, um, and the case goes forward. It's dismissed against General Flynn. He goes home. He can never recover what he's lost already. But uh, hopefully, you know, people recognize him for the hero he is. But I still think, you know, if it comes to it, it's the right message in both the Stone and Flynn case for the president to step in. I know politically, people are going to say to him, "Oh, it's dangerous. I think you're just helping friends." He's not. If anyone cares to look at the facts, you see that he's standing up for the integrity of the justice system by issuing commutation of pardons in these cases.
0: That I think I couldn't have said better. That's absolutely true. And I think that we really have to take a a look at what you're saying here, David. And I know the president understands this, and he shouldn't allow someone to say, oh, this is just political. It's not going to look right. What's happened in this country is beyond pale. Never in my life Would I have imagined how bad this could have been? I mean, when we look at the facts, both in the congressional investigations of what happened uh, with former senior Obama administration officials in the FBI, in the intelligence world uh, and within the White House and what they did with the Trump administration as far as unmaskings, Uh, deliberate lies, deliberate investigations that should have never happened based on erroneous information uh, and information that they knew was false. It's really shocking to me because I never thought in our country we would experience that. I thought that only happened like, When I traveled to Pakistan or when I was in Iraq or when I traveled to other parts of the world where the people really were not in charge, but the governments were, you know, of doing whatever they wanted, where they they had impunity to do whatever they wanted. I never thought that would happen here.
2: You're right. But I'm going to say this. I don't mean this in any way to be pandering. I promise you this is sincere. Uh, Without you reporting on this, without you forcefully reporting on this, it would be much worse. You're one of the only people holding their hands to the fire uh, on this, these kinds of issues and reporting it. You're reporting the facts. People choose to uh, ignore that because they can't see past this blind Trump hatred. Uh, can't you know the, their their candidate lost last time? I, I don't know. That's out of my control. But I'm telling you, the important service you play, not just to the integrity of the judicial system, to our entire political system and our way of life in this country. I cannot uh, overstate it. It's tremendous, and you've got to keep doing what you're doing.
0: Oh, thank you so much, David. And you too. You really, you really are a true patriot. You really fight for justice. And that I respect you for. And I understand why you're doing what you're doing. And I want you to come back on the show. Give us updates, please. I will bring you back in a couple of weeks. I want to find out. We want to hear about Roger Stone's case. I would love to get your take on what happens with General, um, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. And I will just keep pushing for the truth as I know you will. Thank you so much for being on the Sarah Carter show today.
2: Thank you very much. A real honor.
0: Well, I hope you learned as much as I learned, because I learned a lot today from David Schoen. I mean, it's crazy to think how incestuous these guys are with each other, right? Isn't it insane? Weissman, Andrew Weissman, friends with Gleason, involved in the case, I mean, with with Michael Flynn. And what's going to happen to Roger Stone, right? What's going to happen to Roger Stone? I mean, look, I'm all about justice, but this was injustice. And what we've seen in both of these cases has rocked our nation. And what we've seen happen to President Donald Trump has rocked our nation because it happened to you, the American people, the people that voted for him. I want to thank you so much for being here at the Sarah Carter Show. I'm coming to you from my home studio. Visit my site, saracarter.com. Jenny Terror writes stories there. Logan Raddick, thank you so much. Adam Carluccio for producing the show and for being here today. And follow me on Twitter at Sarah Carter DC. And remember, we love to get, uh, when you get on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or whatever, whatever you're using to listen to this show, Please rate us. Please go on there. Give us a five-star rating and let us know how you feel about the show. We love to read through it. Thanks again for being here. Remember, at The Sarah Carter Show, we are taking back the story.